And just um, as a reminder, I mean, uh, the book of Corinthians is, uh, for the most part, a very uh, uh, corrective letter. Uh, but we, and a lot of things that we read through First uh, uh, Corinthians, Paul is addressing a lot of the issues that were going on in the church. And some of those things may even seem really harsh. And there's even times where he speaks to them in a very, uh, even a sarcastic manner to try to make a, 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 get a point across. But just know that everything that Paul is writing to them, he writes to them in love. And that's his point, that although he's writing to correct them, uh, the motive behind it is always love. Right? And, and it's awesome because that's, that's our motive, right? or it should be our motive. Even as we seek to correct one another or those who are in error, it should always be done from the platform of love. And so as Paul is writing to them, we mentioned how the first thing that he had to correct, right, after exhorting them, after admonishing them, after encouraging them in their strength and in what God has done for them, uh, the first thing he wrote to correct was just the divisions that were going on in the church, right? The church had been divided into, for the most part, uh, four factions. Those were the party of Paul, uh, those were the party of Apollos, of, uh, of Cephas, which is Peter, and then those of Christ. And so Paul writes to, to address these things. And so going on on that thought, uh, he goes on to say this in chapter 4. He says this. He says, Let a man so consider us. So notice, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. We'll stop right there. And so as Paul is, again, just uh, talking about the wisdom that comes from the world, talking about the wisdom that comes from the Lord and from the Holy Spirit, talking about that, that uh, the carnal Christian and the, and the mature believer, right? As he's talking about these things and making that difference, he says, let a man so consider us, right? And so we see that Paul had a problem with the way that the Corinthian church viewed him and, and some of those with this apostolic authority. Um, there were some who would either exalt him too high and, and even divide into factions behind his name, saying, oh, well, we're Paul, man. We were saved through his ministry. We were taught by him, right? And they would exalt him to this very high platform and, and, and get behind his name and, and, and uh, cause division because of it. And then there was others who were on the other extreme uh, who had a very low view of the Apostle Paul. Later on, they were right of him, and, they, and, and Paul would say, hey, I know that they're saying that Paul, you know, he writes very strongly, he speaks very strongly, but when you see him in person, Right, he's, 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 all, he's all show right? And that's what they were saying about the Apostle Paul So there were two extremes Either they would, either they, they would uh, Again, view him and exalt him too highly Or they would have this very low view Of Paul, right? and they would look down on him And despise his apostolic authority Even reject it And so again he says there in verse 4 I mean verse 1 of chapter 4 He says, let a man so consider us As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries Of God, right And so what he's saying is, look, he, say, he says, man, this is the way any person is to regard it. He says, let a man so consider us, right? Not to this extreme, not to that extreme, and not just me, but also Apollos and Peter, any one of the disciples. He says, uh, this is the way any person is to regard us, right? But here specifically uh, uh, speaking about him and Apollos, he's saying, look, we're just servants, right? Don't regard us too high, don't regard us too low, but just regard us as this, notice, as servants, right? Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, and a steward of the mysteries of God. Right? I like it because earlier there in uh, verse 6 of chapter 3, he would say, hey, I planted Apollo's water, but it's God who gave the increase. And look, we're just servants of the Lord. Right? It's not about us, but it's about the one whom we serve. Right? And so he's pointing the attention back to the Lord. Now, I love that Paul there in uh, verse 1, uh, when Paul says servants, he says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. The, Paul, the word that Paul uses there for the word servants in the Greek uh, is not the common word that we see in the New Testament used for servant. Uh, in this case, 
It's a word in the Greek called uh, uh, hyperites, which is describing specifically uh, an under rower. It's the title and the term given to an under rower. Or um, it, by definition, it's a person under the authority or control of another or a servant who is lower in rank. And so typically when we see the word serving used in the New Testament, it's the Greek word doulos, which means this bond servant, which is a, a willing slave. Right. But in this case, Paul uses hyperites for the word servant, which again refers to the roar at the bottom level of a ship. The guy that's doing all the hard work to keep the ship moving, but with no control over its direction or its course. And so typically there in the first century, right, they would travel by ship. And uh, in this case, it was even used to describe a slave ship. And so uh, uh, this term uh, hyperites or servant that Paul uses is referring to the slaves that were at the very bottom of the ship rowing the boat, right? They were doing all the hard work, right? They were just, they're under rowers. That, that's what they would call them. They would call them under rowers because they're at the very bottom level, just, man, just keeping the ship moving with no control over where it goes. They can't even see the direction it's going. They don't know what's going up, up top. They don't know what the plan is, right? They're just trusting the captain to sail where it is that he needs to get to. They're just moving. They're just doing all the hard work. And so Paul says, hey, look, let everyone consider us not too high, not too low, but look, we're just under rowers, right? He says, we're just hyperites. We're just servants, right? So I love this because Paul, you know, it describes Paul's relationship to the Lord, right? Uh, we see that for Paul, again, he calls himself the under rower of the ship. Jesus was the captain and Paul was the under rower. He was just obedient to do the work and he was trusting the Lord with a direction, the course that he was taking the ship. Right? Paul saying, look, I'm just ministering. Right? I'm just doing the work of the ministry. I'm just trusting God with the ministry. I'm just under rowing and I'm trusting the Lord to be my captain and to direct my steps. That's what he was doing. And that what, that's what his life was descriptive of as he was serving the Lord. Serving God, doing all the hard work, and just trusting the Lord with the outcome and with the direction that he was taking his life. And really, this is the mind and the heart that we should all have. As, man, we're just under roars. Me, even as a pastor, I'm just an under roar. Right? I'm just a servant of the Lord. I'm trusting him with the direction of this church, with the direction of my family, with the direction you know, of my marriage, with the direction of you know, my, my work, with the direction of everything. Right? Lately, I've been complaining about my work schedule. But really, you know, the Lord convicted me when I was reading this. And thought, man, well, Lord, you're the captain of my ship. Lord, and, and you know where you're directing me. You know where you're taking me, Lord. And you decided, you saw fit to take me in this direction, even in my workplace. So, Lord, I trust you, right? And that's what's going on. And so, really, uh, it, 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 it reminds us, right? And, and uh, it really encourages us to have the same mind as Paul, to have the same heart as Paul, just obedient to the call of God in our lives, not worried about the outcome, not worried about the direction, not worried about the course that it's taking, but just trusting God that he is the one in charge, that he's the one sailing the ship he's the one you know behind the big old steering wheel and he's directing our lives right we're trusting that's the lord that's guiding us because he is he is guiding us right so let jesus be your captain and then he says this again let a man so consider us notice as servants of christ but also as stewards of the mysteries of god so as servants of christ but also as stewards of the mysteries of god now it was typical there in the first century uh for a master of the house right which is the owner of the house a master of the house to have servants under him that were working. And it was just a common thing, right? That any homeowner, any master of the house who would come would have servants under him. And uh, all these different servants were in charge of doing different things. One was doing the laundry, one was doing the, the dishes, one was doing the cooking, one was doing all the yard work, one was doing you know, all the upkeeping, one was taking care of the kids, right? It was just the typical everyday life right there in the first century. And so it was typical for the master of the house uh, to have his servants 
in his home, and among all these servants, he would have one whom they would call a steward. Right? And the master of the home would appoint one of the servants to be the steward, the steward of the home, which the steward was considered like the manager of the house uh, and really the manager of all the other servants. Right? The homeowner or the master wouldn't talk to everyone directly, but he would talk to one guy, to the steward, and the steward would just relay the message and relay the vision and, and, uh, to the rest of the servants. And so we see that in relation to the master of the home, the steward was just a slave, right? When it comes to the master and the steward, hey, the steward was just a slave. But in relation to uh, the steward and the rest of the servants, uh, the, the steward was uh, a master to them, right? So the master was a master to the, to the steward. He was just a slave to the master. But to the, all the other servants, you know, he was a master to them. So he was just a servant, all right? But he was like an elevated servant. He was like a glorified servant. He was the one in charge, right? He's the one that had the authority from the master. But he himself was just also a slave. He was just a servant himself. And so Paul says, look, we're just servants. We're just underers. And more than that, look, we're stewards, right? He says, uh, I'm just taking directions from my boss, right? From Jesus. And so Paul and Paulus were stewards of God's household, right? And he gives that picture, look, we're just stewards of the master and his household, right? Which is the Lord. They had been entrusted with the word of God, the message of the gospel. Notice that. We're stewards of the mysteries of God. I mean, look, God is a master and we're his stewards and we're all just servants, but God has entrusted us with the word. God has entrusted us with the gospel. God has entrusted us with the message. And that's all. But we're just servants just like you guys is what he's saying, right? And notice what he says about a steward, right? Really important. He says, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found what? Faithful. I love that word, faithful. So we see when it comes to Christian stewardship or when it comes to service unto the Lord, man, faithfulness is not a suggestion, but faithfulness is a requirement, right? It's one of the requirements of stewardship in our service unto the Lord. Faithfulness. Paul later on, writing there to the church at Ephesus, he would uh, he would commend a brother in the Lord. He would say this in Ephesians six twenty one. Notice Paul writing he says, uh, "But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing." And then he says, "Tychicus, a beloved brother, and notice a faithful minister in the Lord." Right? He was commending Tychicus for being faithful, and more than that, a faithful brother and a faithful minister in the Lord. Notice. He will make all things known to you. Right? Faithfulness. This characteristic of, of Tachikis. This characteristic of a steward. This characteristic of, 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 a, of a servant of the Lord. And then he would command another guy there in Colossians 1.7. In Colossians 1.7, he's writing there to the church at Colossae. And he would say, As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a notice, a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Right? So we see that for Paul. Man, this, this concept of being faithful in the stewardness of God in the, or in the stewardship of God this concept of being faithful in the service unto the Lord it was a required one it was a must have it was a no compromise issue right it had to be a characteristic of a servant of the Lord later on he'll write to Timothy and as he's encouraging uh, uh, this young pastor Timothy there at Ephesus he will say this in 2 Timothy 2.2 2, he says and the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses notice he says commit these to who? to faithful men who will also be able to teach others Faithfulness, right? That faithfulness is what God is requiring of us. It wasn't Paul requiring, but it was God. It's God requiring it, right? It's one of the characteristics. It's one of the requirements for Christian services, faithfulness, 
Right? Now remember that the church in Corinth was dividing over their favorite teachers, right? I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter, right? Oh, I was taught by, by, by the Lord, directly from the Lord. And so we see that the main issue wasn't, is Paul better or is Apollos better or is Peter a better teacher or, hey, are we holier because we're following Christ only, right? But the main issue was this, man, have Paul, have Apollos, have Peter, have they been faithful, right? That was the main issue. It wasn't who was better or who was greater, among other teachers, but it's about the faithfulness of the steward, the faithfulness of the servant of the Lord. Right? It wasn't about how great they were or how much better they were from the other teachers, but it was, man, have Paul or Apollos or Peter been faithful in the things which God has called them to? Right? Again, it is required and steward that one be found faithful. Right? Interesting because um, faithfulness is not a common trait in the lives of uh, many believers, many, many people in general. But, but sadly enough, you know, in the life of believers, it's not a trait that is common in the life of a person anymore, right? It's not common in their personal life. It's not common in their home. And really, we see if a person is not faithful in their personal life. If they're not faithful in their home, if they're not faithful in their workplace, if they're not faithful man, to their wife, to their spouse, then how can he be entrusted with God's little sheep, right? And that's one thing that, that I know. If a man can't be faithful to his wife, then how can he be faithful to the church? If a man can't be faithful to his wife, then how can he be faithful to those whom God has entrusted him with? Them? Right? He can't. He absolutely can't. And so it is absolutely required that a minister, that a servant, that a steward be found faithful. Right? That he must be faithful. And so Paul will go on to say this in verse 3. He says, But with me, he says, It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. He says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. He says, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. And then he says in verse 5, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Notice, then each one's praise will come from God. So he says, a servant or a steward is, man, you know what? He says, they're constantly being judged or they're constantly being criticized. Right? But Paul will say, but as for me, he says, it matters very little how I may be criticized by you or evaluated by you or, or even any other human authority. That's what he's saying. Right? He's recognizing that as a steward, as a minister, as a servant unto the Lord, his ministry is always on display. His character is always on display. His, uh, his stewardship is always on display. And with that, public ministry comes a lot of criticism. Right? It happens all the time. If you're in any type of public ministry, you're going to be criticized. Why? Because it's our natural human tendency to criticize, to judge, right? To compare. And, and, and Paul saying, look, man, you guys are comparing the ministry of Paul and Apollos and Peter and Christ, right? And he says, uh, moreover, he says, look, with me, he says, I, I care very little, right? It matters very little how uh, I may be evaluated by you or by any human authority uh, for that, right? And then Paul will point out three types of, of judgments or three types of criticisms in the life of a steward, specifically his life, right? He mentions man's judgment, the steward's own judgment of himself, and then the master's judgment, right? God's judgment, what God thinks about you, what God thinks about your ministry, what God thinks about your character, what God thinks about your stewardship. And really, that's the most important one, he would say, right? Again, he says, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I don't even criticize myself, he says, for I know of nothing against myself, Yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. Right? And so we see that 
uh, as Christians, man, we should be conscious of the fact that God will ultimately be the one who judges us and whom we're going to give account to. Right? Our sin was judged on the cross. But as far, but anything after that is, is our works and our fruit, and those things will be inspected. Those things will be judged, right? And notice what Paul would say. And so he says that that as believers, right, even in his own life, being the apostle Paul, uh, man, we should be conscious of the fact that that God will ultimately be the one to judge us, right? We're going to give account to Him, but it's not going to be just for what we did, but for the motive in our heart behind it, right? That's what he says. He says, I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light, notice, the hidden things of darkness, but also he's going to reveal the counsels of the hearts. Right? Man, people could do many great things in the name of the Lord. But if their heart's not in it, then it means nothing. Right? It means nothing. I think I, as I'm maturing in the Lord, <laughs> little by little, right, I think the Lord's showing me. Right, that I don't have to meet every single need, right? And, and, and I don't have to do every single thing that 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 that's in my heart. Well, that that needs to be done if it's not in my heart, right? And and, and nowadays, you know, I find myself, I rather minister to the Lord, be obedient to the Lord, to the things that He's placed in my heart, to the things that He's called me to do, rather than do something that God hasn't called me to do and do it grudgingly, right? Because it means nothing, right? It means nothing to the people, it means nothing to the Lord, and it means nothing to me. So why even do it, right? Why even waste my energy in it, right? But, but with that being said, man, I pray. I'm like, Lord, give me a heart for this. Lord, give me a heart for that. And he does. And he gives me a desire. He gives me a passion. He gives me a heart for it. Right? And those things, I'm like, man, I'm going to hold. Let's do it, Lord. Right? But for the things that, that, that I'm doing, I do it grudgingly. Or I do it, you know, sparingly. Or I do it, you know, uh, reluctantly. I just, I'd rather not do it. Right? Notice why. Because he says that it's the Lord who's going to reveal one day the counsels of the heart. And I would be so embarrassed. And I know I'm going to be embarrassed. Because there's a lot of things I've done with a bad motive, with a bad heart. And I know I'm going to be embarrassed in that day when we're there before the, you know, all the believers that have ever been saved and there's this ceremony going on and all of a sudden, man, my works are going to be on display and we're going to see, you know, what, what survived the fire and what didn't, right? I'm going to have a big old pile of ash on this side and maybe a couple of little rewards here on this side, right? But for the most part, I have probably a pile of ashes here on this side because there's a lot of things that I did with a bad motive, right? And so, we see that's important to keep, man, close tabs with the Lord and now allow Him to evaluate us. He says, look, uh, it's God who judges me. Right? So people say, hey, only God can judge me. That's not biblical. Well, it is kind of biblical. Paul would say, look, it's the Lord who judges me. Right? And so we see that, man, it's important to keep uh, those close tabs with the Lord and, and really allow Him to constantly evaluate us. Paul would say, look, what you guys care say about me, what you guys, the way you guys criticize me, he says, it matters very little to me. Because more than that, I'm more concerned of what God thinks about me, right? And so we see that, man, it's important to, to allow the Lord to constantly evaluate us. Why? Because you'll notice that typically our own evaluation of ourselves is always wrong, right? We're either too hard on ourselves or we're too easy on ourselves, right? We're never spot on. But you're never going to evaluate your own ministry. You're never going to evaluate your own life. You're never going to evaluate your own performance spot on, right? We're, we're biased. You're either too hard on yourself or you're too easy on yourself, right? We're not, it's never going to be a, 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 an on-point evaluation. And then, I mean, Paul would even say, he says, look, man, my conscience is clear. There in verse 4, he says, for I know nothing, I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. But he 
who judges me is the Lord. So Paul would even say, look, I, I don't know of anything that I've ever done, right, that's offended anybody. And, and Paul had the right to say this because he was, again, a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He was, you know, a man, a, a godly man. God used him mightily. He poured into so many others. He planted all these churches. He was just a spot-on guy. And he would say, look, I, I know of nothing against myself. He said, so he was saying, look, my conscience is clear. Says, but even that doesn't get me off the hook, he says. Even though my conscience is clear, he would say, even that doesn't get me off the hook. He says, but I'm not justified by this. But it's God who judges me, right? It's the Lord who judges me. And so we can't go around saying, well, I don't feel I did anything wrong. Or I, in my opinion, you know, I didn't offend anybody. Or in my opinion, you know, I, I wasn't wrong or I wasn't in the wrong. Because that doesn't get us on, off the hook either, right? Ignorance to it doesn't get us off of the hook, right? Because it's not one another. who We don't judge each other. But it's God who judges us ultimately, right? And say we should go to the Lord. I always love this psalm, and I read it all the time. I quote it to myself all the time. I meditate it all the time. Uh, a psalm of David, Psalm 139. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite psalms. Because David's just so open. He's just so blunt. He's just so transparent. Right? And he would say this in Psalm 139, verse 23. He would plead to the Lord at the end of his prayer. Then he will say, search me, O God. He says, Lord, know my heart. He says, God, try me or test me and know my anxieties. Know what worries me. Know the things I don't trust you in. He says, and see if there's any w wicked way in me. Really what he's saying is expose any wicked way in me. And then he says, and lead me in the way everlasting. Right? That's a beautiful prayer of David. Right? It's a beautiful prayer I think it should be of all of us. Lord, examine me. Lord, test me. Lord, let me know God, where, it, where, where that wickedness is in my heart because it creeps up. Right? The Lord washes us. The Lord cleanses us. But as we go on throughout this life, man, we get dirty. We get contaminated. Our hearts get hardened. They begin to get calloused again. Right? So it's important to come to the Lord every once in a while and say, Lord, search me. God, try me. God, test me. Lord, know my heart. Know my anxieties. Right? Know the things I'm, I'm lacking in. Know where I'm failing. Uh, God, show me the wickedness in my own heart. But don't just leave me there. Lead me in the way everlasting. Right? Prayer of David. And then he goes on to say, Paul, he says, Therefore judge nothing before the time. I like the way the, the, NIV, the NIV puts uh, verse 5. I'll read it for you in the New International Version. It says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. Then He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and He will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. But notice what He says. Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Man, we get ourselves in so much trouble, right? And, and we cause so much damage. Because we make these quick judgments about a situation, about a person, about, you know, whatever it may be, right? An event without knowing the whole truth. What does Paul say? Hey, he says, judge nothing before the time. Right? And he says, look, if there's going to be a time where God's going to expose everything, where God's going to expose the motive of the heart and also the intention of the heart. He says, and then each one's praise will come from God. But man, we get ourselves into so much trouble. We cause so much damage when we judge things before the time right before knowing right i remember i had an incident where there was this brother who i thought well, i was really close with and one day he was walking to the church and i i i i would always see him in the morning and you know give him a big old hug big old what's up you know and uh and that morning he kind of just walked past right past me i remember the whole time in service i couldn't even focus on the message because i'm thinking like dude what's this guy's problem I'm thinking, like, what did I, did I say something? I'm going through my text. So that, the last thing I, I, I said to him, the last thing, you know, we, we spoke about, I'm thinking, man, what's this dude's problem? He just walked right past me, right? He didn't even say what's up. He saw me. He didn't say nothing. And I'm already, I'm already, you know, judging him before the time, before even knowing. 
right? And, and I just let it go on like that. It wasn't until like maybe three weeks later that I found out that uh, some, he was having a rotten day. Something happened that morning and he just wanted to get to church and to just worship the Lord and to focus on the Lord. He didn't even see me that morning. Even though we made eye contact, his mind was like, dude, I just got to sit down and just worship the Lord right now, right? He was having a rotten morning and a rotten day pretty much. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm so dumb, right? I, I, right away, I judged him. I thought, this guy, you know, he, he doesn't like me anymore. He doesn't love me anymore. You're, I, he's mad at me or whatever, right? I judged him before the time, before even knowing, right? And again, we make, we cause so much damage when we do that. Right now, we don't know the intention of the heart. We don't know the motive of the heart. We don't know what the person is going through. Paul would say, hey, don't judge anything before the time, or before the Lord comes. Because he's going to both be the one to bring things to light, the hidden things of darkness, but also reveal the counsels of the heart. And then, at that time, each one's praise will come from God, right? He's going to search the motives. And he will go on to say this in verse 6. He says, now these things, brethren, I have uh, figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that's beyond what is written in the scriptures, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. So Paul says, look, these things I just spoke to you, he says, I use me and Apollos as an example. He says, I use me and Apollos as an example, right? He says, uh, I planted Apollos water. He says, we're uh, uh, stewards, we're under rowers, we're, we're just servants, right? He says, look, I'm using me and Apollos as an example, right? Uh, notice, for your sake, so that you may learn in us not to think beyond what it was written, right? And really what they were doing is that they were putting these false expectations on their teachers. They were putting these false expectations on the apostles, on Paul, on Peter, on Apollos, right? And they were, because of that, they were elevating them to a higher degree than they should have been elevated, right? And so Paul says, look, I use me and Apollos as an example for your sake so that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is required of us through scripture. This is that no one may be puffed up on behalf of one another against the other, right? And so he would go on to say in verse seven, for who makes you differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now you did not indeed receive it. Why do you boast as if you had not received it? Right? Because they were so gifted, because they were so equipped, because they were so knowledgeable, they're the church at Corinth. Right? They began to get puffed up over, oh, we know this, we know that. We were taught by so-and-so, we have this spiritual gift. And Paul says, Hey man, he says, what makes you any different from me, from each other? He says, you act like you were born with these spiritual gifts. You act like you were just born with all this knowledge. He says, what do you have that God didn't give you, right? And if God uh, gave you everything that you have, then why do you uh, puff yourself up against one another thinking that you're better than the other brother? He says, really, everything that you have is from the Lord, right? Without that, you'd be nothing. And yet you guys are competing against one another saying, well, we're more spiritual. We're more gifted. We got more of this. He says, really, all that comes from the Lord, right? It's not of yourself. So there's no reason to be puffed up in it, right? He says, why indeed, uh, why, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And he's saying, look, us too. He says, the ministry that we have, we receive it from the Lord. It's not of us, right? So it's foolish to take one side. It's foolish to, to, to lift up one, uh, one believer over another, one person over another, when really we're all just servants, right? And everything that we have, uh, any spiritual gift that we have, anything that's been given to us, it's of the Lord, right? And we can even apply that to our own personal lives. This guy has a nice car. This guy's a, uh, a, a, a beater. This guy has this and that. Hey, dude, everything that we have as believers, it comes from the Lord, right? There's nothing that I could have done to myself to acquire what I have, right? It's of it's it's God, man. My marriage, my house, my car, my job, my this and that. It's not because I'm so great, right? It's because the Lord is so, is so gracious because he's so merciful. And so really it's not about us. It's not about the person. It's about the Lord. And so he go on, he'll go on to say, hey, 
speaking very, very uh, sarcastically, he'll say, man, you're already full. He says, you are already rich. He says, you have reigned as kings without us. You don't need us. He says, and indeed, I, he says, actually, I wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you, right? So speaking scar- sarcastically to them, saying, look, man, you, you act like if you, know, if you were born with these gifts, you act like you know, you're so bad, right? And, and you're so gifted, you're so talented. It's of you. He says, look, you're already rich. You're already full. You've already reigned as kings without us. You don't need our ministries, right? You're 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 well off all on your own. And he says, you know, actually, I wish you did reign, right? That we may, might also reign with you. Notice, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last. Notice, as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Right? Paul would say, look, for us as the apostles, he's like, you guys are the ones that are puffed up, right? And and, and you're elevating us and yet God has made us the lowest right? you're elevating us to a higher position and yet God has made us the lowest of the low he says God has, uh, has he has displayed us the apostles last as men condemned to death notice for we've been made a spectacle to the world both to angels and to men now Paul there when he uses that word spectacle when he says look we've been made as spectacles to the world we've been made as spectacles even to, to the angels in heaven that are watching us right what he's referring to as there at the first century in Rome, they would have what's known as the, as the Roman Games, right? And when uh, the emperors would come, right, they, they would, uh, they would, the gladiators would be fighting there in the Roman Colosseum, and, and, and all the, the whole Colosseum would be full, and they would watch these gladiators fight, right? And so they, have, they would have like the, 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 the main event fights would be these gladiators fighting against each other, these warriors, these, these, these trained fighters, right? That was the real show. And then the spectacle was kind of like uh, the mockery of it. Right, uh, and, and what they would do is that is that all the people who were slaves there in Rome, and all the people who whom they had conquered from other nations, and all the ones that were poor and weak and pretty much worthless, they would have them fight. Uh, uh, they would have them fight against either lions or bears or all these different beasts. And of course, you know who's going to win, right? It was more for just entertainment. Like, man, let's watch this poor guy die, and they would call him the spectacle. Right? The main event was a gladiator. But the spectacle was, man, watching this poor, old, uh, uh, weak, feeble uh, person get eaten alive by this animal. Right? Let's, let's, watch him, let's watch him fight for his life for a little bit. And Paul would say, look, you're, you're exalting us to this high position. And God has made us spectacles before the whole world. God has made us spectacles before even the angels in heaven. We're nothing. We're just the lowest of the low. We're the last of all men. We've been condemned to death. And we're just, man, we're the, the, the mockery right, of this world. And yet you are exalting us. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ, right? Uh, again, speaking sarcastically, well, we're the fools, but you know, you know better than us, right? You're the wise ones. He says, we are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, he says, but we are dishonored, right? He's making this point through sarcasm to say, look, it's not what you think it is, right? You're puffing yourself up more than, more than you need to be puffed up. He says, even to this present hour, verse 11, we both hunger and we thirst and we are poorly clothed and beaten, notice, and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands, being reviled. We bless being persecuted. We endure being defamed. We entreat because we have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things, even until now. Right? Paul's just bringing them to the very real, very harsh reality, very sobering realities. Look at us. He says, who are we? Right? You're exalting us as Apollos, as Paul as Peter and who are we? We're the spectacles of this world, right? We're the, 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 the mockery of this world. He says, even now, right? As Paul is writing this, look, even now to the very present hour, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're impoverished, 
right? He said, we're, we're poorly clothed, right? You don't see him walking around with, with uh, Gucci or Versace or all the latest trends. No. Right? He says, look, we're poorly clothed, we're beaten, and we're homeless. And who were they, man? They were apostles. They were men whom the church was elevating. And he says, look, we're nothing, man. We don't have, we're, we're actually hungry. He says, I'm hungry as I'm writing this letter. I'm thirsty as I'm writing this letter. I don't have uh, anywhere to lay my head even as I write this letter. Right? Man, very, very different to, uh, I'll say this, the common day apostles, right? Or the people who give themselves that title. That typically, you see those guys that are going out there, um, just their circuit preachers, right? Going, giving themselves that title of apostle or evangelist, or whatever. And typically, you see these guys dressed with, man, the finest clothes, the best shoes, right? They have the biggest houses. And they go to the church and they're like entreating people to give to the ministries because without your, your, your support, then the ministry can't continue. And yet, Paul, being Paul the apostle, he says, Look, man, he says, I'm beaten. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm poorly clothed. I'm homeless. Right? Man, pretty different. He says, We labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we blessed, and being persecuted, we endured. Man, I love this about the Apostle Paul. That even though he wanted, if, if he could have, man, he could have asked the church for support, and yet he didn't. Right? And later on, he would tell us that the reason he did it was that so nobody could say anything against his ministry. So that nobody could come up, could come up and say, hey, man, Paul just wants the money. Paul's just in it for the money. He says, no. He says, look, I'm working with my own hands. He says, we labor, working with our own hands. We're reviled. And when, and when people revile us, he says, look, we bless them. When we're, we're being persecuted and we endure the persecution. We don't run from it. Right? Also the Apostle Paul says, we're defamed and we entreat. Right? We've been made as a filth of the world, as the offscoring of all things, even until now. And then he goes on to say, I don't write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, notice, I warn you. Right? Man, you could almost hear the tone of love in his voice. He says, look, I'm not writing this to put you down. I'm not writing this to, to embarrass you guys. I'm not writing this to shame you. But really, he says, as my beloved kids... I'm doing this to warn you, right? And if you guys know, you guys are all parents, you know that sometimes you have to speak to your kids harshly. Most of the time, right, you speak to them in a soft tone. You know that, that they're not, you know, mentally at the level that you're at and they can't understand, you know, what you really want, what you want to uh, uh, tell them. And so you, you, you kind of, you bring your, your understanding down, you know, five or six notches and you talk to them on their own level. But there is times where you need to speak to them harshly, directly. And it's not because you hate them, right? It's not because you want to hurt them. It's not because you want to embarrass them. It's because you love them. And you know that that's what it's going to take for them to understand this. So Paul says, look, I'm not writing this to embarrass you. I'm not writing this to shame you. But you're like my kids, my beloved children. I'm doing it to warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, he says, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul says, look, you guys are, you have the best teachers there at Corinth. Right? You even divide into, you know, into, into, the, into your own favorite teachers. And though the church at Corinth was very knowledgeable in the things of the Lord, very gifted, though there were many teachers, he says, though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ or 10,000 Bible teachers, he says, you don't have many fathers. Right? And we see that there's a difference. There's a difference. Right? When he says you don't have many fathers in Christ, he's talking about his love for the sheep. Anybody could come over here and just teach, right, and give a Bible study and, you know, prepare, do this thing like that. And, and, and great, God will use them, right? But not everybody has a love for the ministry. Not everybody has a love for the people whom they're ministering to. And Paul would say, look, you have 10,000 of teachers. They're great teachers. They're great instructors in Christ. But you don't have many people who really care about you. You don't have many people who love you. You don't have many people who pray for you. You don't have many people who, who really care about your well-being, who care about your spiritual well-being. Because you don't have many fathers, Right? In the Lord. 
For in Christ Jesus, I have begun you through the gospel. Right? It was a church that Paul planted. It was a church that through his ministry, man, he spent uh, 18 months with them. Right? After leaving Athens, he spent 18 months with them just pouring into these guys. You know, he, he was there. There was no church established, right? He be, began to just uh, do the work of the ministry. A church was established there at Corinth. He stayed with them for about 18 months just pouring into them, loving them, caring for them. Right? He says, look, he says, I've begotten you through the gospel. He says, through the, it's through my preaching of the gospel that you came to faith. Right? He says, I'm like your spiritual father. More than that, I care for you. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Right? He says, you have all these teachers who are great teachers, right? but they don't care about you. He says, therefore, imitate me. Why? Because, look, I'm the one who begot you. I'm the one who shared the gospel with you. I'm the one who brought you to faith. I love you. I care about you. Right? So he says, imitate me. I like it because later on he would say this. He would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Right? And, and Paul wasn't trying to bring people to himself when he says, imitate me. But really, because of the life that he lived, that it was just exemplified Christ, he would say, hey, look, forget about these guys. Look, imitate me because I'm imitating the Lord. I'm walking after the Lord. He says, look, walk. He says, imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus to you, right? For this reason, I have sent, notice, Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in, uh, in every church. So as Paul was writing this, this letter from Ephesus, right? He's, he's expressing his heart to them. And he says, look, for this reason, I've sent Timothy to you. Later on, he would say of Timothy, he would say of Timothy that he has no one as like-minded as Timothy who's going to uh, care for your spiritual well-being, right? Timothy was a young man whom Paul took under his wing, who he, whom he poured into, right? And, and they became man of the same heartbeat, of the same heart for ministry, the same mind, the same, the same love for the Lord, the same love for the church. And they, be just, they just became one in the ministry. And Paul would say, look, I have no one else, no one else in the ministry that, that, that is as like-minded as me, as Timothy. And so Paul sends like his, you know, his right-hand guy, Timothy. He's my beloved and faithful son in the Lord who will remind you of my ways in Christ. When the, when the, when, when the rumors will come around, hey, well, Paul doesn't care about us. Hey, Paul's just writing this to correct us. Hey, Paul's just this. Timothy will be right there. No, no, he's, remember Remember who Paul is, right? Remember his heart, right? He will remind him. He says, he's going to remind you of my ways in Christ. And I teach, as I teach everywhere in the church, he says, look, I wish I was there with you guys. Because I wish I myself could go with you guys. But this I have work to do, right? And, and I'm going around in every church teaching. And verse 18 says, now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will shortly come to you. I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. And I, and I will know. Not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. Paul says, look, man, there's some of you, the people in the church that are acting like I'm not going to go over there, right? They're acting like if they're ever going to see me again. Right? Remember Paul having that apostolic authority. He's the one part of the church. He would later go on and then uh, uh, to visit them again. And then after leaving, he's going to write the letter, the second, second letter to Corinthians, right? To address some of the things that he saw going on there personally. But... He's addressing those who think, well, ah, we could get away with all this. We could keep on going the way we're going because Paul's never going to come back. Right? He forgot about us. He's not going to come back. He doesn't care about us. And Paul says, look, there's some of you who are puffed up as, I, as, as if I were not coming back. He says, but I am come, I'm, I'm going to come back to you shortly if it's God's will. And I'll know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. What he says, look, when I get there, I'm going to see, right? Those who walk the walk and those who talk the talk. There are many who are out there just spreading lies, spreading rumors, just talking, right? But when I get there, I'll know who's real. I'll know who's the one, right? I'll know who's fake, right? And how am I going to know? By their power, right? Their, their walk is going to match their talk, right? He, the evidence of the Holy Spirit working through their life, 
is going to match what they say, what they teach, right? The things that they say. Notice he says, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. I love that. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. There are many who say many things, right? And really, if that, if those words, if those testimonies, if those things are not backed up by the spirit of God working through their life and the power of God uh, working through their life in an evident way, then it means nothing, right? I talk to people who say, oh, I did this and I did that and I did that. And I look at their life presently and there's no power. Right? There's no power of the Holy Spirit. They, they're dull. Right? They, I don't see the Holy Spirit working through them. I don't even sense it. I don't feel it. Right? So what they say, the stories they tell me, though they're awesome stories, they mean nothing. Right? Because the kingdom of God is not in word. It's not about walk. Right? But it's, about, it's not about talk, but it's about walk. Right? The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit present through the life of the believer that's where it's at that's where you know where something is genuine where someone is genuine when the work of the holy spirit is genuine in the life of the believer is when what they say right is being backed up is being confirmed by the holy spirit working through their life and he says so the kingdom of god is not in word but in power is what do you want is what do you want shall i come to you with the rod for correction or in love and a spirit of gentleness Right? And really, what do they want? He's like, man, you don't want to. He's like, you don't want to feel the rod, man, of correction. Right? He is gonna write him and tell him some things that he needs to correct. But he says, look, you don't want that. Right? He's writing. He's giving him a warning ahead of time. Look, guys, get your act together. Right? Because you don't want me to go over there and correct you. And he says, I don't want to do that. He says, what do you want? Shall I come with you uh, with with the rod or in love and with the spirit of gentleness? And I love this because this is meekness exemplified. Right? And the Apostle Paul, being the Apostle Paul, you know, saying that he imitates the Lord, right? he does a good job at imitating the Lord because that's who the Lord was. The Lord was meek. Right? The Lord was meek. And this word meek means strength under control. Right? That even just like in the garden, right? when all the Roman soldiers came with clubs and, and, and pitchforks and all that stuff and, 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 uh, and, and, uh, and torches to, to arrest Jesus, right? what does Peter do? He takes out the sword. He's about to kill one of the guys. He chops someone's ear off, a, a Roman soldier by the name of Malchus. And Jesus tells him, hey, look, Peter, hold on. You know, those who live by the sword die by the sword. He tells Peter, Peter, don't you think if I wanted to, I could have called thousands of angels to come right now and you know, do battle with these guys and beat these guys up? He says, but I don't want to do that. Right? And that's who the Lord was, that, that even though he had all the strength and power and authority to bring down fire from heaven, he didn't. Right? He didn't. Right? Meekness is strength under control. Right? Even though I could do something, I'm not going to do it. And that's a dangerous man right there. Right? The dangerous man isn't the one who's just ruled by his emotions, you know, going out to trying to fight everybody, trying to confront everybody. That's, not, that's weak. That's weak because there's no self-control. Right? But a strong man, a strong person is the one that knows I can do it, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to hold back. Right? That's a dangerous individual right there. And Paul would say, look, shall I come to you with a rod? He could have if he wanted to. Right? He had the apostolic authority. He had the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. He was recognized in all the churches. He was recognized in, even in hell. Right? And I say that because later on um, well, in the book of Acts, right, there was the seven sons of Sceva who they saw Paul exercising demons. And they went out there and they say, uh, I, I exercise you uh, in, in the name of uh, the, the, the God of Paul, whom, whom, God, whom Paul preaches. And then the demons will speak to these men and they say, Paul, we know, but who are you? Right, so man, Paul's name and authority was known, even in the demonic realm. And so if you wanted to, he could have corrected these guys harshly. But he says, look, I don't want to do that. He says, what do you want? He says, you want to feel the rod of correction? He says, or you want to feel that love and that spirit of gentleness? I love that because even though Paul could have came down, you know, bringing fire and brimstone, and he would rather come at him with love and gentleness, right? Uh, and meekness and humility, right? And I love that. 
about the Apostle Paul. That's who he was, man. You know, that's who I want to be. Lord, I know I can do this. I know I can say this if I wanted to, but Lord, just give me love instead. Lord, give me grace instead. Lord, give me humility instead. Lord, God, give me patience instead. Give me long-suffering instead, Lord. Because that's, that's who the Lord is, right? God, if you wanted to, he could have judged us a long time ago for what we did. I'm surprised that the Lord doesn't judge us more harshly for some of the things that we do, even as believers, right? But who's the Lord? Man, he's gracious. And he extends grace upon grace upon grace to the believer, to us. And I'm thankful for that, right? And so who are we to come down with that same lot of correction, right? The moment somebody messes up, hey, man, I'd rather extend grace. Right? Paul would write to the church at Galatia later on, and he would say, look, when a brother falls into sin, he says, it's your duty as a spiritually mature believer to restore them, notice, in the spirit of gentleness. Right? That's what Paul was. That's what it's all about. Right? And that's the same ministry that we should uh, uh, have in mind, keep in mind. But, um, with that being said, I was going to go into the next few verses of chapter 5, but We'll save it. Um, we'll save it for next for next Sunday. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word, Lord. I thank you that, God, you provided us with such an awesome manual, Lord, for some awesome instructions, Lord, for just uh, living uh, a holy life, Lord, living a pleasing life unto you. And I thank you, Lord, for, for, <laughs> Lord, for the knuckleheads here at the Church of Corinth, God, because through them and through this instructive letter and corrective letter that Paul had to write, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Lord, we can learn. God, we can glean from. Lord, we can grow as believers, God. And, and Lord, I, I just thank you so much, Lord, for that, God. And I pray, Lord, that even just as Paul said, Lord, uh, underrowers, servants, stewards, God, give us that same heart. Give us that same mentality, Lord. Help us to realize, to remember that we're just your underrowers, Lord, that you're the one in charge, that you're the captain of the ship, Lord. And help us to trust you, Lord, with the direction, with the course, Lord, that you're... Uh, that you're taking our lives, Lord. We love you, Lord. We pray to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.